Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Fabulous Pelton Cast. I'm your co-host Kevin Pelton, and I'm Tristan Carcino. And it is time for our annual year in music podcast, the the long-awaited year in music podcast, the start of our year in review festivities, always a favorite of mine, and I know yours as well, is someone who works in the music industry. Actually, that makes it my least favorite. Oh. Um, least favorite podcast of the year, not going to lie to you, except when you when you have your monologues about hydroplanes, but this is my chance to have oh. a and when thinking about the year in music in 2023, you know, I, I think there are some subjects that we should get to and specific topics that we should get to as kind of overarching ideas that happen in music. And then we'll also go through your top 10 songs of the year, me with uh, 10 kind of underground type songs, emerging type artists uh, of 2023 that came out. But, you know, I think there was a lot of similarities in 2023 to music in 2022. You know, TikTok oh, was still... Oh, what are the odds? I But... But this is this is a transitional time period in a lot of ways. TikTok was still the primary source of marketing and discovery for music uh, across the world. It's something that the TikTok trend, even though people are not, you know, in their homes because of the pandemic, TikTok is still very powerful. And musically speaking, uh, it's the number one marketing tool for basically any record label, any major label there is. But I do think there are some encouragements about that as well. Not necessarily that discovering music through TikTok is bad, but I do think that there's a little bit of a questionable nature of people becoming fans of 30 second to a minute snippets of songs. Right. But I think the thing to me that was most exciting about 2023, as opposed to years in the past, was there there was kind of a reemergence of uh, indie music in general, and then also rock bands in particular, and how how that has transformed and people kind of post TikTok resorting back to wanting something that's a little bit more authentic, a little bit more traditional album campaign of touring, of people buying records in full, not just individual songs, press things like that. There are artists who blew up in 2023 maybe not in the virality way but artists who got very very large in a much more traditional sense and some of that is paired with tiktok and some of it isn't but it's interesting to me that i do feel like in 2023 there is now a chance to be a huge artist without the support of tiktok and that's something that wasn't necessarily the case a couple of years ago but then also i do think we're still coming out a bit of pandemic times you know this was basically the first year where there was full open touring a handful of dates were canceled because of covid but 2023 was a year that you didn't expect a show that you bought a ticket for to be canceled or go in with that expectation that there was a good chance that it would be pretty much the entire year almost every single festival that was scheduled played out almost every single tour that was scheduled played out there weren't those cancellations that we saw even in 2022 for a part of it where the year really opened up kind of midway through 2022 fully and so I think we're seeing part of that in the way that the rest of the world is. We are definitely in a post-COVID world. And I think people are probably even underestimating how much it has affected America and the United States and some of the transition that's going on in the world. But music are those speaking, different places, America and the or United sorry, States. Sorry, sorry, the, the United States and the rest of the world. But I think one of the things that people are looking for in this post-pandemic world was there was angst for a long time. Pop punk came back, right? We had kind of the early 2000s nostalgia. I think we're tweaking a little bit later in the nostalgia period and not to sound old. You were there for the 20th anniversary tour of Give Up and Transatlanticism. I was good, sir. And there was so much early 2000s nostalgia at that one. That's exactly what I'm saying, though, it is the nostalgia has moved a couple of years later. It's not the early 2000s pop punk, late 90s pop punk. We've now, as time has passed, we're at that 20-year period of the first generation of really big indie rock. And that's kind of where we've cycled around to nostalgia-wise. MGMT is back. A lot of those bands are bigger than they've ever been right now. Those, those kind of early 2000s, first generation of, it wasn't college rock anymore, it was indie rock, right? It was it was that that time period that bands were massive. And that's kind of what the Postal Service and Death Cab were capitalizing on with this massive tour that they also announced dates for in 2024 as well. So that that's kind of the period nostalgia wise that we're at. And it's also reflecting new music. But I do think the post-COVID piece of it is I think as as a society, 
I think people were looking for something a little bit more comforting coming out of the pandemic and also their view of Americana. And, you know, it's totally radically different views of what Americana means in 2023. But I do think it's a little bit of a different it's a it's just a slightly change of pace for the, the view that people are looking for. It's not quite unabashed pop music. It's not quite angst. I think Americana to me is the number one thing that you can kind of the thread that you can point everything back to not Americana as a genre. Americana as really establishing ourselves as the arts and the culture of the United States and the view of what that looks like in 2023, because it's radically different than it's ever been. But I don't think we could start a 2023 year in music podcast without talking about Taylor Swift. Yeah, which I think also fits into something else post pandemic, which is just this pent up demand for live music and the fact that the concert industry at the highest levels is booming even more than it was pre-pandemic where you know i remember when beyonce came to seattle a few years ago this is obviously a, a different tour the renaissance tour uh she came to seattle in like 2016 i want to say and it was like very easy to get tickets last minute i don't think it was sold out at lumen field and the difference between that and what the renaissance tour is now and the era's tour obviously to an entire different level and even both of those tours to bringing back the concert movie as an in movie theater experience. It, it's just been a wild year. And yeah, I mean, even though Taylor Swift for the most part did not release new music in 2023, there, I mean, this is still, this is the tour. Yes. Granted it's going back to back to the 2022 album, but still dominated music like Taylor Swift was always a big star but there are levels to this shit and she reached an incredible new level this year I think I think there's a chance that Taylor Swift is the biggest pop artist right now this summer was the biggest year for a pop artist in the history of the world and, and I say that not necessarily that she was the biggest pop artist in the world because th there there was so much monoculture when previous artists were releasing music. But when you look at where culture has gone and how diverse culture is and music culture is. So you're saying we need to era adjust this as if we're like talking about the, you know, the the dead ball era versus the the 90s home run explosion. Exactly. So to be as big as Taylor Swift was, touring wise especially, in 2023, I think it was the biggest year in music ever. Yeah, I mean, it was... It was like hard to Taylor Swift took over the NFL, which was an unlikely development that I not, did not see at the beginning of 2023. It was just impossible to go anywhere without Taylor Swift. And I, I certainly don't mean that as a criticism. And and within my own life, this the this certainly became the case in a much, much bigger way. Like Taylor Swift was probably the artist that I listened to the most in 2023. Wild. So I, I have a theory about Taylor Swift and this year. Because it was kind of a perfect storm of things hitting in favor of Taylor Swift in the year 2023. So basically, this era's tour, right, spanning her entire career. Taylor Swift is the Harry Potter of music. So there were all these kids who were in like third, fourth grade or whatever when Harry Potter came out, right? They were young and they were reading it. And Harry Potter aged basically as they aged, maybe a slightly older, a little bit younger than us, this generation of kids. But so a, a lot generated younger. Than they, us. they aged with Harry Potter and with the books. And by the time you got to volume seven, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, right? Harry Potter was the biggest book in the entire world. And in a similar way, may have been the biggest book of all time at that point, because those kids who had grown up with it had just kind of been along the ride the entire time with Harry Potter, and it was such a big deal for them. In the same way that for Taylor Swift, she has been in the pop culture as a notable pop artist since she kind of crossed over from country. For those kids, from when they were young, third, fourth grade, all the way to now when they're in their 20s, in their early 20s, time like that, and they have grown up with her as a central figure in pop music. And the thing that Taylor Swift has done, similar to Harry Potter, is I don't think you would really argue that Taylor Swift is like the best artist during that time period. 
but she has always been very good and been very consistent. And it's kind of like it has just grown and grown and grown as those kids have aged. And this was the perfect storm of this. I mean, this is it. Like, the, I, there's almost no way you could argue that Taylor Swift could be more popular. If you were to make an argument that she's going to be less popular after this, it would be easy to do because she's the most popular that she can be. It's kind of only downhill for Taylor Swift from here and that tour. Uh, it would be unprecedented territory. She's already in unprecedented territory. But I think the other piece of people were looking for something that was comforting in the way that Harry Potter was a comforting story. You understood it. You'd grown along with it, right? There's a nostalgia piece. There's a home element to it, right? It's a little piece of, despite Harry Potter not being American, but like Taylor Swift is Americana. And she has been one of the central American pop stars for this entire time. So we ended up in this place post pandemic that people are looking for something. It's a strange world out there. Right. There's a lot going on. There are wars happening in multiple places. But do you know what is safe and comforting? Taylor Swift is safe and comforting by being consistent and always being good. Never being the best, always being good. And all of that led to Taylor Swift in the year 2023. I have a, I have a more complicated part of this theory as well that I can't talk about on this podcast. But I, I do think... I do think there was a place that people were looking for something that they really, really just understood completely and felt very, very safe to the masses. And it's safe in Seattle and it's safe in LA and it's safe in Chicago and it's safe in Omaha and it's safe in Minneapolis. Like this is, this is music that transcends everywhere. And she's from the South, right? This is not, you're not subjected to almost any other piece to think about anything else that people fight about when you listen to Taylor Swift. I understand what you're saying. I still think safe is a little pejorative. Uh, to, That's not to an insult safe. to Taylor Swift. I'm not saying her music is safe because in the same way, Harry Potter became darker and darker and darker over time. The kids got older. Taylor Swift got older as well. Like, it's not a criticism of the music. It's that we understand it completely. I think the part that you're maybe underselling here, and I, I think there are many of the listener, I can I can think of some specifically who will dispute you're not the best assertion, but the also the variety, because it's not like Harry Potter was a bunch of different styles from book to book. And that's one thing that Taylor Swift has done as part of Revolution is she's, you know, the, the her albums explore different genres and different, you know, styles along the way. And that's something the Eras Tour highlighted. I'm going to give that one an okay. I think that is very generous. She's not she's not the the toughest or the artiest pop star we have, right? She she's not somebody who demands devotion in the way that Lana Del Rey does, right? Where it's almost like like on a like you don't feel like you know Taylor Swift, if that makes sense. Taylor Swift feels famous. Yeah, I don't know that that necessarily I don't necessarily think that that makes her music any less personal. Okay. Well, I guess we have different it, perspectives on this. But but I also think Beyonce was sort of part of that conversation. And I think struggled sure. a little bit as as an artist in, in basically the shadow of Taylor Swift. As Taylor Swift is having the biggest touring year ever. Beyonce could have had the biggest touring year ever. I mean, if it weren't for Taylor Swift. Struggle is like... You know, LeBron is struggling relative to Michael Jordan's six championships. Uh, yeah, she's no, doing, I think, I think that's fair. But it, it also is like, I was literally in two places this summer that Taylor Swift and Beyonce were performing. I Granted, this is Chicago and it's a big place. I left Seattle where Taylor Swift is performing and went to Chicago where Beyonce was performing. In Seattle, the only conversation that was happening was about Taylor Swift. That was it. There were not other conversations. In Chicago, Beyonce was a thing that was happening and it was important, but it wasn't the only thing that was happening. It didn't disrupt society in the way that Taylor Swift did. And I can tell you that Beyonce is keenly aware of this information. Beyonce put out a better record than Taylor Swift did last year. But at the same time, Taylor Swift is more famous than Beyonce is in this moment. In the same way that Taylor Swift had the concert film. It's a huge deal. Beyonce had a concert film. It's a deal. I, I agree. But also, Beyonce wasn't putting out concert films previously in movie theaters. So I do think there's an element of Taylor Swift paving the way for that sort of thing as well. So I, I think there is... 
you know, kind of a, a drag resistance for Beyonce drafting off of Taylor Swift to some degree in that yeah. regard. All right, anything else on this topic? I don't think so. All right, well, the second thing we wanted to talk about was 50 years of hip-hop. Why 1973? That's the year that father of hip-hop, DJ Cool Herc, began isolating the instrumental portion of records, extending the break, creating the beats over which rap would develop, which therefore makes this the 50th anniversary of hip-hop, is the Grammys will be celebrated next year. Uh, and we also had a 50 years of hip hop on CBS featuring like Will Smith and Dougie Fresh. And it's really fascinating because I think it comes at a very interesting time for hip hop. And I think basically for the first time, this this has been a trend that has been continuing for a handful of years. But for one of the first times since, I don't know what year to put it, 1998, something like that. This was, this is the first time period because i don't exactly say year time period where hip-hop was not pop music if that makes sense there has not been a really really famous hip-hop artist who has put out their first record since i can't even really think of who it is right now like the most important artist to come out in these last couple of years ice spice probably being the most important one uh there has been a little bit of a void in truly large superstar level hip hop artists that have come out. And I do think it's as a genre, we're on the 50th year, right? But we also are on the 30th year as being the most important genre in the entire world. And I think hip hop is at a pretty transitionary place. And coming out of the pandemic, I think that piece of Americana was not something that hip-hop had been rallied around. You talk about concerts being so in demand, but I don't know if you saw that it was trending. Travis Scott's tour that happened this last fall was not in demand in that same way. You had Drake and 21 Savage playing arenas, but not stadiums this summer. They were big shows, and they probably could have, but I think it's notable that they didn't in that same way, that you have Beyonce and you have Taylor Swift playing Lumen Field, right? And you have Drake and 21 Savage playing two nights at Climate Pledge Arena. Like there is a difference between those two things. And maybe they want it to be a little bit more intimate. Obviously, he did like seven nights in L.A. These are still big shows. But also, Drake has been making music for at least a decade, right? He, he has been a famous artist for a very long time. And at this point, like Drake's songs are not on the radio anymore. There have not been massive, massive hip hop songs. In Pelton Cast time, uh, Best I Ever Had came out in 2009. So yes, well more than a okay. decade. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a long, long time. But that's kind of my point is like, there, there haven't been truly massive. And this is not to say anything about the genre. There obviously are still exciting artists releasing music within the genre. But I'm talking about on a pop scale. Pop music as it is has changed. But pop music is now the number one genre that there is. I think you can even see it with SNL guests too. Musical guess there's been ice spice right which i think is the only hip-hop artist who's been on this season but then you have noah khan olivia rodrigo boy genius bad bunny like those types of artists who are having a really 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 big impact currently are not hip-hop artists and to me the number one way that you can know that hip-hop is dead right now is that 50 50 year anniversary celebration <laughs> was happening on cbs exactly I mean, certainly, you know, hip hop, like rock music originally, it was, you know, the the rebellion, the opposition. And when you're you've this is inevitable in, in all things, the over a long enough time period, the rebels in their youth become the institutions in their older ages. And we've seen rock and, you know, mainstream rock go through this sort of evolution. And it does feel like there are some elements that hip hop is following down the same path. You also had you know, Andre 3000 putting out a flute album this year, right? And what is the name of the first song on that album? Is it is it Hip Hop Is Dead? No, no. It was like, I swear I was trying to record a hip-hop album. Oh, okay. I mean, obviously, Nas already did that one many years ago. Dead. Before yeah. hip-hop was, in fact. Nas was wrong. Hip-hop <laughs> was dead for Nas. You can't, be, you can't be wrong over a long enough timeline if you yeah. make, a, make a prediction like that. 
but but it's been interesting to me to see when you look at like today's top hits on Spotify, Mitski is on the cover of that. Tell me that indie rock is not at its like fucking peak. It basically took the popularity of those early 2000s artists and amplified it, right? Some of those artists are so massive right now. We have a Pine Grove TikTok dance in 2023. The world is definitely changing in a way that I, I think that hip hop hasn't necessarily transformed that much. And it's a little bit more about these smaller pockets, very large, smaller pockets of artists. And there's still kind of at the base level, hip hop is a more popular genre than hip hop is or than uh, indie rock is. But like the truly, truly massive artists, when you turn on pop radio, if you would have turned on Kiss 106 in 2006, it was all hip hop songs. There wasn't a pop song on there, really. And even the like pop songs were all hip hop influenced pop songs. And that is not the case anymore. I'm still not totally sure I necessarily recognize the the difference between hip hop and pop. I mean, I do think there that part of it is that, you know, these elements all get incorporated into pop music and pop music just becomes whatever is popular. It's it's not unlike these other genres. It's not designed by it's not uh designated is a certain type of sound it's just whatever is popular so you know i do think you're underselling that to a degree but certainly there is an evolution happening i i i don't even know i i agree with that but pop music was hip-hop you understand that right like hip-hop songs were pop music and now they're not there's still truly, truly big hip-hop songs and rappers, but they are not pop music. They are not the most popular genre. I was scrolling through today's top hits right now uh, on Spotify, and it's like there's maybe like four or five hip-hop songs on here. And there are a lot of pop songs on here. I mean, Mitski at number one. We haven't mentioned SZA at any point. And, and even though, you know, technically Kill Bill came out in 2022, that, that should certainly be mentioned. Or be I think... I think I, I think I meant meant to include that as part of Americana, though. You have SZA, like, her record was her take on Americana. There's a song that sounds like Mazzy Star, one of the biggest songs on it, right? Like, it is radically different from what that record could have looked like 15 years ago. Uh, or a record that came out on quality control could have sounded like, right? Or, yeah. sorry, on TD, on, on TD, could have sounded like 15 years ago or would have sounded like 15 years ago. But, like... The, the artists who are truly, truly massive at the moment, Olivia Rodrigo, people like that, SZA. Olivia Rodrigo's not hip-hop-influenced music, necessarily. No, I think she would say, I, I do recognize a distinction there. So, uh, I, I, I will be curious to see. I, I think it will probably take some sort of very notable artist in the genre somebody very large doing something that feels a little bit special and new and i don't think that that artist has come around for a while um and i think that's what it'll take for that to to transition and um for for hip-hop to be kind of the number one genre again in the way that pop music is right now well, speaking of Americana, the last thing that you in particular wanted to talk about was the rise of country music in 2023 <laughs> And I think this is on the same piece. This is kind of on the same continuum with hip hop not being as large. When you look at like the billboard charts every single week, it's like six country songs. And there's something about country in the moment, which again, post COVID, I, I, I have no idea what the causation is. I don't even dare to speculate. But right now people are very desperate for the stories to sound slightly different and I think that's the point, the place that country music hit. And at the same time, I think country music has also been good at incorporating other genres. When you look at somebody like Morgan Wallen, like Morgan Wallen for being one of the biggest country artists in the world, like there are hip hop elements to what he's doing. And you have like rappers who are country artists who look like hip hop artists, somebody like Jelly Roll being one of the biggest artists in the world. I feel like that genre has taken the outsider mentality that you were talking about. Look, there's still the fucking CMTs or whatever, uh, or the CMAs on CBS. But like, that is where the outsider mentality is really coming from, is in country music right now, more so than it is in hip hop music. And it's becoming massive because of it. You know, I think the years that 
like Luke Bryan had, Morgan Wallen, Jelly Roll, Hardy, they have become more or less the biggest pop artists in the entire world. And I think that's something that was definitely not the case three or four years ago where country artists were as big as they are. Even just watching TV and you see the ads for like Laney Wilson and people like that playing amphitheaters. It is different than it was a couple of years ago and it has become much more mainstream. I feel like the other piece we need to talk about in this, I, I thought that you were going to go deeper on some of that, but uh, Luke Combs cover of Fast Car. I think is a fascinating cultural moment in 2023. Yep. <laughs> That's all you have on that one. I mean, I, I don't think it is definitely not lost on me that there is a white artist covering a black artist and having one of the biggest songs of 2023, a white <laughs> country artist covering a black artist yeah. and have having one of the biggest songs of 2023 or the comeback that Morgan Wallen has had. Right. It is not lost on me that that's the case and where culture has been on a very large level. And I don't mean any of this, the perspective about hip hop or country music as positive or negative. It is just an observation about what is going on right now. But but that particular song is helps you understand culture post-COVID. Do you want to make the case to me as you have numerous times in unrecorded podcasts offline uh, for Zach Bryan? God, we'll get there. Oh, okay. Wow, this is going to be in your top songs. I mean, every list needs a number one. I, but I thought you you went with underground artists. You you said earlier some that you were gonna... some artists are so important. Do you want me to talk about Zach Bryan right now? I I think you should. Yes, this is in this context. So you remember two years ago we were on this we were on this podcast, the Year in Review podcast, and I was telling you about what a massive year turnstile it had. Yes. Right? And I was like, hardcore has become a mainstream genre. And that was two years ago. And guess what? Hardcore is a mainstream genre. The biggest Turn, artist... Turnstile is in Taco Bell ads. One of the most notable performers. Turnstile is even so much bigger than being in Taco Bell ads. We talked about this. They get played at the Seahawks games, right? Like, Turnstile is... They are a, they are a massive hip-hop band. They're a massive hardcore band. They're a massive rock band. Right, they're kind of everything, and they're still riding that way from from their last album. But like, Turnstile is at a level; they're probably the biggest American rock band at the moment. Luke Bryan is the new Turnstile. Like, <laughs> this this is it is wild to me how incredible of a year Zach Bryan had, and how Zach Bryan, in the way that Turnstile, it was like the hip hop kids love them. Right, the rock kids love them, hardcore kids love them, skaters love them, everybody loved Turnstile, pop fans love them. I was in the fucking pit at Camp Flogna, and there were pop fans like they're in a pit for Turnstile. It is a wild thing. Zach Bryan, I first heard about him from the skaters, right? From people who are in hip hop. That is where this came from. This was not country fans who were initially talking about Zach Bryan, and to me, the the cultural the closest cultural lineage that i can think of for zach bryan is bruce springsteen both the storytelling even the types of songs that he's recording it is bonkers he manages to work with people like noah khan and not sound cheesy like the year that zach bryan has had and the music he's released is it is absurd how good he is and you just hear his voice and you're like God damn, dude. Like, how are you able to sound like that? Zach Bryan is so good. I don't mind the state of Oklahoma now. This is a really big development. We'll have to talk about the uh, the public subsidies for the uh, Thunder's New Arena offline. As, as Red Dirt Country music, right? I know the term Red Dirt Country because of Zach Bryan. But... Uh, also, with a Northwest connection, his his first full length was recorded at Bear Creek Studios in Woodenville, Washington, uh, with the same person who recorded the Lumineers early on. And you look at the artists that Zach Bryan has worked with, and you couldn't even really necessarily call him a country artist in a lot of ways, right? It's Maggie Rogers, Casey Musgraves, which is like right on that edge, uh, the Lumineers, Bon Iver, Noah Kahn, like... Those are the artists, that's where Zach Bryan sits. It happens to be country music. But 
to me, it's Americana. It's classic rock. It is post Springsteen. Like even, I don't even know exactly what genre you would consider Springsteen, but he's encompassing all, all of those things in one. It is also wild to see, uh, to be so famous as Zach Bryan is. And like you click on Spotify, like the country top hot songs or whatever. And he's like seven of the top 10. Like Zach Bryan is truly, truly, truly massive in a way that that's why I kind of want to include him on the list is I think people don't understand just how huge of an artist he is right now. And it's because of that in this, like Morgan Wallen, the skater kids are not into Morgan Wallen, right? Enumclaw is not going to cover a Morgan Wallen song, but Zach Bryan, Zach Bryan is, is respected by everybody. And the year that he had, to me, he's easily the most important artist of 2023. The best and the most important artist of 2023, excluding nobody. Also, certainly the most played uh, on the playlist at your Thanksgiving. I mean, he's the only person played <laughs> on my playlist at Thanksgiving. I, I But I also think he was stationed at uh, on Bainbridge as well. Oh, interesting. Uh, when he was part of the Navy, I'm pretty sure he was stationed in Bainbridge. All right. Anything so, more on the trends in the year in music? I think that's it. Okay. Do we want to start with my top 10 songs of the year? Let's do it. All right. We start with the honorable mentions. Uh, first off, I regret that I didn't get to Kill Bill by SZA last year when it was technically eligible because it came out in like December 2022 uh, just ahead of the year in music podcast but it, would, it definitely was like among my 10 favorite songs to listen to in 2023 but look you got to have strict rules for this list if you're creating you top 10 strict songs rules. Uh, but th that's what I'm saying is there there is a pop song that you know like Mazzy Star is all I can think of when I listen to that song and how that happened is just, it is a shocking thing. I heard it for the first time and I was like, oh my God. It was one of those songs where you're like, they did what now? <laughs> I don't know that that necessarily is what I got out of it, but okay. Uh, also in my honorable mention. That's, that's not Kill Bill, sorry. That's the uh, Nobody Gets Me You Do song. Gotcha. Uh, Kishai by Major Lazer, Major League with Major League DJs. And then Meeting the Master by Greta Van Fleet, which I do have to talk about for a second because... You do not have a Greta Van Fleet song in here, do you? I do. It's quite good. How did you even listen to it? Like, what what set of circumstances got you to the place of listening to Greta Van Fleet? Every once in a while, I'll just listen to the new releases to see what, what might qualify for my top 10. And like, at one point... I did some searching and came across the Greta Van Vliet subreddit where they're all like upset at the idea that people are comparing them to Led Zeppelin. <laughs> what? <They're... laughs> like, like I come in with no preconceived notions here. I, I'm not like trying to fit a narrative, fit all the facts to my narrative here. This is a Led Zeppelin song and it's a good Led Zeppelin song. So I enjoyed it. It's an honorable mention. It's good on them. I will never listen to that song. I heard that band. I heard somebody. It was Scooter Braun. This is how you know it's fucking bullshit. Oh, no. I heard Scooter Braun was the first time I ever heard about that band. And he was like, yeah, there's this young band called Greta Van Fleet. And he was like, they're amazing. Like the most unique voice or whatever. And I turned it on and I was like, this is literally just Led Zeppelin cover music. Right? This is the only song worse than Fast Car as covered by Luke Combs. Is that who it is? I had this up a second ago. I think that's what you said. I said Luke Bryan earlier, but it's Luke Combs. Uh, but look, if it's not Zach Bryan, I didn't hear it in 2023. Yeah, it's but, Luke Combs. But the only thing worse than Fast Car than Fast Car being covered by Luke Combs is the band Greta Van Fleet. So also Luke Bryan, I'm pretty sure, is an SEC head coach. There we go. <laughs> no, I didn't mean that joke. Seriously, that was a joke. It just sounds like the name of an <laughs> SEC head coach. All right, my number 10 song is we get into the actual top 10. Another song that is notable for how much it sounds like something else. And that's All That's Left of Me Is You by Wolfpack. So forget the new Beatles song, Now and Then, which was fine. This was the best Beatles sound released in 2023, some 53 years after Let It Be. Uh, other people described it as the Beatles cross with Radiohead. And specifically, the so Beatles song it sounds like is Sexy Sadie. Fair enough. I, I guess I should know. We didn't talk about AI music. I felt like AI music was kind of like the um, 
it was like NFTs or something. Like AI music came and went very, very quickly and the excitement around it. But I will say, I was in a conference room with Amazon music executives this summer and a member of Enumclaw asked them what they were listening to. Not that it was the first thing that was brought up. It was the only thing that was brought up. The only thing they could think of that they were listening to that was new was some sort of AI song that was like a Drake song that sounds like Michael Jackson. And I was just like, what a bleak fucking time. So the the Beatles AI song. Also, my favorite thing about that is this is where we're I don't, was that actually AI? The, this is my complaint is that people use AI to th- to mean things that used to just be a computer program. Yeah, like, that's not the same thing. I, I guess I can kind of agree with that. But like the idea that it's like the last Beatles song and it's like, well, we already had a last Beatles song. So I, I agree with that. Who Who is to say that this is the last Beatles song? Fair there point. can be Beatles songs forever. The, I love the idea that it's like, yeah, 2023, I guess the last Beatles song dropped. You're, you're saying it's like the Roscoe's Rug Emporium of <laughs> planes. Also, remember when the Beatles had a big year a couple of years ago? <laughs> Jesus I do Christ. remember that. It I do seem, feel it like, like a very long time ago. Yeah, the the Beatles, like their their level of fame. That we were listening to Glass Onion in the car earlier today, and right, he's like, "I told you about the strawberry fields." And he's like, "The walrus was Paul," and I'm like, "Children, who do you think this is?" And like, Luca's pretty well versed on shit, and he was guessing all sorts of crazy stuff. <laughs> At no point, like the Beatles are definitely gone. Not gone. They are fading quickly from consciousness, especially for young people. There was a moment there where it came back, but like 60s music is fading very, very quickly. All right. In my number nines, you probably have a new album from a 60s artist on your list. <laughs> Not quite that far back. You know, there's new, new Rolling Stones. You know, yeah, the Stones put out some great stuff. Look, uh, in my number nine spot, I have Dance the Night by Dua Lipa which was a, a well-constructed pop song from the Barbie soundtrack that was used perfectly in the movie and in the trailer and all the marketing around Barbie. It just, it it did exactly what it needed to do. All right, number eight. I did tell you I had a, in my favorite, personal favorite genre, you're a band that you have not listened to in years puts out an album and I somehow listened to a song and put it in my top 10. And in this case, a band that I didn't even like really care for when they were actually big, the Libertines. Wow. The Libertines. That is a wild one. They put out their, their first album since 2015. And I had the song run, run, run at number eight with uh, it's, it's classic pop punk style. And I especially love the line. He can eat more chicken than anyone in the land. Is it still Pete Doherty and Carl Barat? Yeah. Wow. Well, today, today I learned that this was still a band. They've actually still been a band for a long period of time, but they had not put out new music since 2015. This is like NME, like reading NME in the library favorite band. <laughs> they were the most important band of 2002 from England. I'm literally, I'm not even joking. They were. I, in. I know. Yeah. I'm well it aware. Was, it was like, like John and Paul, like Liam and Noel Gallagher. Pete Doherty and Carl Barat. That was like the level of of Libertines fandom. What was the song called like Up the Something Pole, right? I I don't know. I wasn't there Sorry. for that. I wasn't in the library with you. Yeah. Uh yeah, I don't know what I was listening to in 2002. Up but the bracket. Not not that. that. Man. Yeah, definitely not the Libertines. Wow. I don't even how did you find that? I think that may have appeared in my what's the one where release radar. I think that may have popped in there somehow, and Spotify knew on that one. I guess I don't know. I'm impressed. All right, number seven. Not I, is... I was gonna guess the Killers or something. I went way too mainstream. Too mainstream. Yes. Number seven. Not as far released from their prime, but not also not in this genre. The Nationals' latest album, number seven. Your mind is not your own, uh, which features. Phoebe Bridgers, not her uh, last appearance on this list. Spoiler alert. I figured. Uh, this, I didn't like this national album, the first two pages of Frankenstein, as much as their past ones, but this particular song did stand out to me. All right. At number six, So You Are Tired by Sufjan Stevens. 
uh javelin perhaps the most emotional sufyan album and that's saying something uh it was dedicated to and about the passing of his longtime partner evans richardson and uh this was the kind of lead song off of that as well as my favorite did you listen to this at all i haven't in, in classic you not listening to new music fashion and like i told you i told you what i've heard <clears throat> Number five for me. I, I think I would like the Sufjan album. I'm of sure. course. Yeah. Number five for me. Making the Bed from Olivia Rodrigo. There Making was, the Bed is yeah, the there one. Was, wow. There was no question there would be a representative from Guts. And I strongly considered Bad Idea right. But, uh, you know, I, Making the Bed feels a little more personal and a little less polished than that the biggest single off of that album. You think Bad Idea right was the biggest single? I'm not sure about that. It was at least the first single, wasn't it? No, Vampire was the first single, and I think probably oh, was it? also. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I thought this album was great, though. Like, of course, everyone thinks the, this album was great. The but the the pressure that was on Olivia Rodrigo to release an excellent album after the debut it was very high, and then Vampire came out, and I was like, she fucking nailed it. Like, goddamn. Uh, but having the entire record all the way through to me, All American Bitch was like. That was the number one song. When she played that on SNL, I felt like that it, that it was SNL a great choice for SNL. It was funny seeing, I think it was a few weeks in a row where it's like Ice Spice, Noah Kahn, and Olivia Rodrigo. And I was on a flight, the flight back from Baltimore. I watched the- Ice Spice both, was the first episode, so they were not in a row. I, I watched both the Noah Kahn and then the Olivia Rodrigo uh, SNL performances, which a lot of times I don't even watch the musical performance. I'm just like, I'm good. I get it. And the seeing back to back like Noah Khan versus what Olivia Rodrigo did was just wild how different they were and how how much of a performer Olivia Rodrigo is. It was almost like she couldn't even focus on singing because she was performing so much during All American Bitch. But it was like this is a fucking show right now. I was like, I like these Noah Khan songs or whatever, but like he did the Dial Drunk song with Post Malone, which by the way, country artist now, did the Dial Drunk song with Post Malone. And it was Post like, Malone's going to chase whatever's hot. I don't know if that's exactly true, but it was just was, it sucked without Post Malone. I was like, we need Post it here. Like, how are you going to do a song that has a feature and not have that person on the song live? But Olivia Rodrigo, after that, when she started playing All American Bitch, I was like, oh, hell yes. So I thought all the singles were great. You know, Bad Idea, Vampire into Bad Idea, right? And then I think All American Bitch is kind of like the focus song or whatever on the record. But Get Him Back also being one of the bigger songs. Yeah, The record across the board yeah. was kind of shocking how much of a success it was. Vampire is by far the most played song off that album, by the way. It's more, more than double Bad Idea, right? Which is number two. All right, number four. So Taylor Swift mostly didn't release new music in 2023, but there were some songs from the vault of 1989. I don't know if there were from the other album she did her version of. And of those, I, I'm going with Say Don't Go which is maybe the song that I had stuck in my head the most throughout 2023, I would say. I would, I would say it didn't go from my head. This is the second Taylor's version that has appeared in my top tens over the last, I think, three years now. All right, number three. Pegasus by Arlo Parks featuring Phoebe Bridgers. Uh, my Soft Machine came out last week. You have my two songs featuring... Three songs with Phoebe Bridgers on them in your top 10. Is that right? You're assuming here, but yes. Okay. Yes. Two songs featuring Phoebe Bridgers. Uh, that was my favorite listen during kind of the catch-up portion of this this uh, year in music and top 10 selection. Arlo Parks has an incredible voice. The songs have a great vibe. And then you put Phoebe Bridgers on top of that. It's hard to go wrong. Yeah, and I think Arlo Parks' voice is kind of incomparable. Yeah. Uh, and definitely what separates them from the other artists in a similar genre. All right, number two. Again, off of a soundtrack. Am I Dreaming by Metro Boomin, ASAP Rocky, and Royce. I am a sucker for any time strings are used in hip-hop. I enjoyed this entire, like, the Spider-Man. This was Across the Spider-Verse, I believe, was the, the name of 
the the part two of this one uh the entire album was good but this was this definitely was one of my favorite songs to listen to all year long after i started listening to it after going to the movie you watched the movie yeah uh i thought into the spider-verse i was so blown away by and across the universe i was like this is so incredible to look at it feels like you're in a comic book watching it I was like, there really is just, we got to get moving here. People <laughs> with the storyline. Like, this was like, they, yeah, like it, it just, I, there were some moments that were so good, right? They're like when they, when they go to India, that was incredible. Right. And, and the, um, uh, Daniel Calula's, uh, like punk Spider-Man oh, yeah. was so good. And then when they go to like the Spider-Man headquarters and Donald Glover's there, like there were a few moments that were so exceptional, but then there was so much time that just like goes on and on and on. And I went to it with a fucking six-year-old. So I was just <laughs> like, people, we got it. We got to You got to hurry up here. This is still a fucking comic book movie. You needed this to be like a podcast. You could listen to at 2x speed for parts of it. I, I like went back and watched it on Netflix and I was like, it's still, it is a very, it is an exceptional movie to look at. And it was an exceptional movie to see in theaters. And the, the moments where it's good are so good. Yeah. But uh, look, that, that two-part movie isn't going to make itself. I'm also a big year, I feel like, for movie soundtracks between this and the Barbie soundtrack. I don't know if this is partially influenced by the fact that I went to more movies than ever before or just because of the fact that uh, they did a better job with that. All right, my number one song. You did correctly guess. Obviously, I had a song off the album by Boy Genius. Uh, saw Boy Genius at the Gorge in August. It was an incredible experience. It was like... I've seen other concerts where everybody was as into it as that, but not with that many people, if that makes sense. Like there's been concerts with more people and there's been concerts where people have been more into it, but never in the sweet spot of it's the Pareto optimization of the most people, the frontier of the most people, the most into it. Uh, at that concert it was truly incredible and the only question was which boy genius song i was going to pick uh true blue was the 1a here could easily have made it and then 20 dollars, also a finalist was also on my list all year long but uh eventually i went with not strong enough oh wow you kind of went through all the songs i mean that's three there were, there were i mean but th those are like the three songs i, I feel I like i mean sure yeah for a reason uh, no, I mean, it, it, honestly, this was a bigger year for Boy Genius than even I could have anticipated. And I knowing, never imagined that, that Boy was, Genius was going to be on SNL. I, I I feel like that was reasonable, but like they set merch records at almost every place they were. It was kind of. Like not the anti Taylor Swift, but what I was saying about Taylor Swift not being like generally a lot of people agreeing she's probably not the best artist. Taylor Swift demands devotion, but also there's something about Taylor Swift where it's like, I'm just going because everybody else is going, right? The amount of people that I saw going to those shows or hear talk about going to those shows, just because it was a thing to do as like, this is an important event. People do not go to Boy Genius shows because it's a thing to do. People are obsessed with the music in, in a way that like, they are listening over and over and over again. They set merch records at basically every single venue they are at. They also, again, in opposition to Taylor Swift, had very low merch prices for what they were doing. Uh, it was it was a show, but it also was kind of an unassuming show in a lot of ways. And to me, the crazy thing about seeing Boy Genius is it doesn't have like I. So I was seeing them at Red Rocks, right? And yeah, I was thinking of this. Yeah. By the way, Red Rocks, I don't know if anybody's heard about this. Exceptional. <laughs> you know, I still in my head will only associate Red Rocks with one thing. You too? Live at Red Rocks? The no. no. What? No, John Tesh live oh, at Red John Rocks. Oh, John Tesh. I which was I... part of our Tesh Anthology parody video that we created with the famous cousin Katie and, and uh, our cousin Chris back in like 1998. But so... I was watching them. I was at Red Rocks. It was beautiful. Uh, the, the, like me complimenting Red Rocks is like being like, yeah, I'm in on Zach Bryan. But like, um, you know, you know, Zach Bryan, um, uh, me and his other 
22 million monthly listeners or whatever. 22 million monthly listeners can't be wrong. But they actually can be sometimes. I don't know if you've heard Greta Van Fleet, but all of them. They have 22 million. They're all, they're all in the subreddit. <laughs> Every single one of them being like, I went back and listened to Led Zeppelin ripping off Greta Van Fleet, one would say. Um, but I was like, this is 4.7. Oh, harsh, harsh toke for Greta Van Fleet. This is so different than almost any really, really, really popular music, if that makes sense, what Boy Genius have done. Because there aren't really hooks. There aren't riffs. Like, there are melodies, but there's nothing that you could just casually like watch and latch on to like when i went to go this is a crazy example but like i remember when i was a kid going to go see foreigner with jan and it's just like there's riffs and you're like yeah i can process all of this right you can go see it without knowing anything about it and be so completely in boy genius is not like that at all boy genius like you have to be part of it to be in you can't go to a show like you can a taylor swift show and be like yeah i know the singles or whatever like you're it's all or nothing yeah. for for Boy Genius. And there are so many people who are all in on them on such a deep personal and emotional level where they didn't have to do, like I thought the show was excellent. The show didn't even have to be excellent no. because people are so obsessed with them as as human beings and performers that it it's kind of wild. I mean, I feel like they're probably, for ultimately artists who I think two of them are still, uh, three of them are are signed individually to indie record labels, right? Collectively, Boy Genius is now signed to a major label, but all three of them indiv individually are signed to indie record labels. And for artists who are on indie labels, this is one of the biggest impacts of basically any artist ever. Yeah. So it it was a massive year. It was an awesome record that they put together. Uh, uh, being at the shows and just the culture around them is so supportive, so positive. There's not a lot of like posturing or whatever. People are just there because they fucking love it and they love music. And that to me is kind of what I was saying at the beginning of this is a time period that people, this isn't a TikTok band, right? Like Boy Genius no. is not not received and I'm sure that they have successful songs on TikTok, but they're not, these are not one minute increment songs, right? And they still are able to do the thing to sell out Red Rocks way in advance, to have that level of devotion, to have those merch records, to have the Grammy nominations. So I, I think what they did and what they built is one of the most important stories of this past year. Yeah, I would agree. Good. All right, should we get into your version of top songs? Okay, so little stipulation here. Uh, no artists that I work with are eligible for this list. Uh, I, I also I, will not pick your artist for my top 10. You, you, you kind of did. Um, did. That is true. Illuminati Hotties did produce, help produce the, the record. Right there at number one. Uh, but so no artist that I work with would be eligible. I thought about just doing like top, not top, but just like a song from each artist I work with or whatever. Cause people are like, I discovered these bands because of this list or whatever. And I'm like, well, shit. I should benefit from this too. Um, but to not rank things or anything like that. So no artists that I work with uh, are eligible and tried to have more, more underground type artists who have not blown up in a massive way. And then of course, Zach Bryan. Uh, so at number 10, I, then the rankings are kind of just uh, arbitrary. Uh, number 10 is the song You're Faced by an artist called Wisp out of San Francisco. And the thing that has been like wildfire through both TikTok and then also the Twitterverse is uh, shoegaze and slowcore becoming massive genres again. I've heard which, this. I didn't know what to make of it. This song is kind of like the intersection of all of those things. Wisp is basically like the most important artist. Massive has three songs out and riding that wave of the kids. You know, I was talking about how I was at a show in Nashville over the summer and the artist covered Change by Deftones. And it's like Deftones are, they're a heavier band, but also they're they're for being in basically lumped in with like new metal. Like they're, they have a lot of shoegaze elements and Deftones has become over time, one of the most important artists from that like early 2000s, like new metal world. And they're the ones that have lasted. And it really is because of 
this trend that is happening, which is a shocking one. And one where you have to be like, look, maybe it's not all bad. Yeah. Uh, at number nine, I have the song Problem Solver by Slim Dan. And this one actually came from uh, Pelton Cast listener uh, Joe the Infragable. This, this artist, Slim Dan, actually had kind of a massive year in this fringe world of like production artists, songwriters. The, he has this crew that he has sort of like New York, L.A., and the song's fucking sick the first time I heard it. And I listened to it over and over and over again. Very conversational. Uh, he had a song called Celebrity Lookalikes that kind of blew up in the Spotify world. Uh, but his whole crew is doing very, very well right now. Uh, at number eight, I have the song Show You Something by Buff Chick out of New Jersey. Uh, this was one of those tracks similar to like Night Shift to Me by Lucy Day because it's always the song that I come back to that's like starts slow and builds and builds and builds and builds. Uh, and this one for a young artist, Buff Chick, uh, just like I listened to it a few times and it's one of those songs where I just like, I have to keep coming back to this and listen to it again and again and again. You have those moments where you're like, oh shit, when it hits that, hell yes. At number seven, I have the song Compete by Sugar Pit. Have you heard this song? I don't know this one. I picked this song just for the Pete Carroll fans. Uh, the song you can you Can you make a hit album in the first quarter? The, I mean, look, I came here to compete. The song, it, it's just like, if it weren't for the Seahawks, like it's a dope song anyway, but the Pete Carroll element and thinking about that the entire time is like impossible. Uh, impossible to ignore it reminds me of oh my god there is a band called art brute oh. but like do you remember art brute what? right after the libertines were the most important band in the uk art brute was the next most important band they played the them UK. a ton on you know john in the morning there was the one song about like we're gonna form a band we yeah. formed a band yeah. yeah that that record 2000 and looks 2020 on spotify i think it came out in like 2005 i want to say uh bang bang rock and roll by art brute like that's what this kind of reminds me of the compete song huh. and Interesting. uh i i also have used them as an example of when people were talking about bands being hot where i'm like it doesn't always last forever <laughs> just be careful is my my word of advice Enjoy about all it. things yeah uh but art brute that record was like I mean, they were they were the hottest rock band in the world. They were the number one UK band at the time. And like they were sort of the precursor to like Idols and Fontaines and bands like that. Anyway, I came here to compete. At number six, a song called Beanie Baby Blues by Hannah Mars, uh, out of Toronto, kind of like unassuming folk music that is ends up being more dynamic the more times that you listen to it this was one that i actually found on tiktok and uh was stoked about at number five uh this is again it's gotten pretty popular now a song called i thought you'd change by hotline tnt hotline tnt kind of like the band's band right now i would say that they're like the number one next generation indie rock band like when I'm on calls talking with people, every single person is like, oh, that hotline TNT record uh, got best new music on Pitchfork. People are so excited about it. Uh, the the lead singer, Will, is from Vancouver. I booked him in a band called Weed at Capitol Hill Block Party like 2013 That's or wild. something like that. Um, so unlike Boots Riley, you didn't ruin his music career. Yeah, spawn the whole thing. Maybe you had to quit the band, <laughs> had to start a new band because of it. Um, but now based in New York, Hotline TNT, the record came out on Jack White's record label, Third Man. Uh, and they they have had kind of the fastest rise of almost anybody sort of out of nowhere, similar to like Wednesday or somebody like that who were on this list a few years ago and ended up being a very, very large band. Uh, and number four, the song Tour by Molly Velasquez. Uh, out of Nashville. There are two artists from Nashville here at the very end, actually. Uh, just the amount of times that I'm looking around for songs and find something new and exciting, and it's from Nashville, is 98 out of 100 times. 
Like the scene that is happening, the indie scene in particular that is happening in Nashville is wild, almost in opposition to kind of the established country world that's happening there. Like, or that's that that's there. Like the indie scene in Nashville is very, very solid top to bottom, quickly growing, diverse. And there's so many amazing artists. I heard the song by Molly Velasquez. It was one of those songs where you, you look, look back and you're like, holy shit, what is this? And uh, I came back to it over and over and over again. And she also kind of started blowing up in the Spotify world. It's one of those things where you're like, wow, I love this, but I didn't imagine anybody else would. I've started a theory about, not a theory, uh, talking about how many times I'm wrong about things. The amount of times I've talked about bands where I was like, yeah, the band's sick, but they'll never have fans. And then they're like selling out 2000 cap venues one year later or whatever. Uh, this was one of those times, not, not exactly that, but I was like, yeah, this, this track's awesome. But like, can it ever go beyond this? And now Molly Velasco has, has had an awesome run on Spotify, especially. I mean, I'm down for keeping a list of times that you're wrong. Oh yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's just, it is un uncountable how many times I've been wrong about music. I mean, that's the thing when you have when you listen to a lot of music, you're wrong a lot of the time. Yes. Uh, and number three, same when you do trade grades, uh, is a song called "Deleted" by MS Paint. So this this is one of those bands in that post turnstile world. There's Gel, there's Scowl, there's MS Paint, hardcore bands that are now pop bands ultimately on the live side doing really really well uh, i think they have a song with military gun who was on this list last year i think um military gun with them oh that's that's the song with them okay yes um so Mil military gun put out a record on loma vista it was good a good record there's this world where things are now almost being labeled hardcore when they're not necessarily hardcore and ms Payne, i was like it's kind of like happy hardcore right it's not the most aggressive music when you think about like when you listen to knocked loose and ms Payne, they're not the same genre necessarily but there is this world where post turnstile everything wants to be hardcore we're gonna see that for shoegaze pretty soon like everything is gonna be shoegaze in a year people are gonna be like like any indie rock that is cool is going to be called shoegaze. Uh, I like this because of my, I still use MS paint. <laughs> Your feelings about MS paint. Yep. Uh, and number two, the song, if shit fuck by Meg Elsier. Uh, I could not tell you almost anything about her. One of those artists that I found the song and I listened to it and immediately I was excited about it and listened to it over and over and over again. Also from Nashville uh, where random songs pop up and you're just like oh my god how did this happen um but a ve very established considering this was i think their first ever song um the most like established visual world that i've seen around an artist in a very very long time this is somebody who just a few songs out but i'm really excited to see continue to grow yeah i think three songs on spotify three songs now and a number one my dude tourniquet by zach bryan literally just like i swear to god this song it was uh, the way that you get into zach bryan is you're like oh I'd like something in the orange it's haunting right calling it a country song would be very generous right uh or like the song with casey musgraves right you're like oh, i'll just listen to that and all of a sudden you are deep into it and i just kept listening and listening and listening and i was like god, that song just like gets in your head and Tourniquet is probably the song that I have listened to outside of things I've worked on the most for this year. And there's a moment where Zach Bryan, right? His voice cracks. He gets a little aggressive and his voice cracks in this moment. And you're just like, how do you do this, Zach Bryan? How do you sound like you sound and have the vocal melodies that you have and get to this fucking line here right in the middle of the song. And it's just like kills me every time I've had moments where I'll just like rewind it like 30 seconds, listen, 30 seconds back, listen again, listen again, listen again. This shit right here is like, this is music in 2023. Uh, Zach Bryan. I, I have no idea. I'm not, I'm not going to boldly predict that he's going to be as successful or as big as Bruce Springsteen, but that is the only artist who I could reasonably compare Zach Bryan to at this point, or who I could reasonably post Springsteen be like, yeah, that's, that's the perspective 
combined with the fame. And I think there are a lot of people who want to be Bruce Springsteen or have tried to be Bruce Springsteen, who've tried to have that mentality, right? Because it's, it's, he's the people's champ also. You know what I mean? Like you listen to a song like Heading South and he's, it's like a, a in opposition to the, you're smiling, you're smirking over there. Oh, it's, it has nothing to do with what you're saying. Specifically. Okay. It's the dumbest thing that I've just discovered. You're like in opposition to people trying to hold an artist down in Oklahoma. Like he has the Springsteen mentality, but there are a lot of people who've done it in D rock who want to be Bruce Springsteen. They've never been anywhere near as famous as Zach Bryan is. And if it takes the country genre to do that and to get there, then so be it. If people, that's what people want to label it, but this shit is excellent right now. So I'm a, uh, I underground or not. This song is the number one song of the year had to do it to him okay so two follow-ups here yeah the number one all the stories about zach bryan say well stationed in washington state they never specify where he was stationed i don't okay don't know that you know because lewis mccord obviously is not a navy base i don't know if that we have any navy bases outside of bainbridge so i think by definition i, I like that you're like case. tony reale like <laughs> you have, feel like you have to correct this I've said all sorts of wrong things I, on no, this podcast. Just, no, I was just very <laughs> curious to look it up. And then like they all Jerry generically just say stationed in Washington state, but not where, which is a little suspicious to me, but also the most important thing. Look, this podcast is nothing if not uninformed when it comes to country music. Luke Bryan is also a country music star. No, I know. I knew that Luke Bryan was a country. Oh, I thought you were. I thought you were just confusing the names. No, of no, no. Luke Combs and Zach Bryan. Okay. I was confusing the names, but I know that Luke Bryan is also a, a separate. Okay. Yeah. That was my joke about Luke Bryan. Sounds like he's the coach of an SEC football team. He also sounds like a country star because he is one. So. Well, that's it. The year in music. There we go. I'll see you on November twenty second, twenty twenty four, for Zach Bryan at the Tacoma Dome. <laughs> will not see me at the Tacoma Dome, even if I get into Zach Bryan. November 22nd and 23rd, 2024. Mark your calendars. It's so funny how far out shows get announced. I think those Metallica shows are still coming, right? That, I think it's 2024, yeah. They got yeah. announced in like 2022. Do we have some exciting things to expect from your artists in 2024? Absolutely. I can't talk about any of them. Okay, um, great. <laughs> no, but it, but I, I, I should say this has been an awesome 2023. I've definitely gotten to do things that I previously was never able to uh, having an artist play at Red Rocks, you know, being able to go in the underground tunnel at Red Rocks, like being able to walk up those stairs before doors. It is an incredible experience uh, being at Pitchfork Music Festival this summer in Chicago. Uh, having an artist nominated for Grammys was definitely a first for me. Uh, it's been uh, it's been a pretty incredible year and, and definitely want to thank every single artist I've been able and had the pleasure to work with this year. Done awesome things and so much cool stuff planned for next year. Uh, for so many of them that I'm excited to share. Uh, but Choke Cherry, Christian Taylor, Eliza McClam, Enum Claw, Hannah Cole, Illuminati Hotties, Mercury, Michael Sayer, Pink Shift, and them. I guess the one thing that I can say is on New Year's Eve, them is going to be playing live from the Space Needle uh, as part of New Year's at the Needle, 11.45 p.m. Should be very, very cool. So it should be a lot of fun, yeah. Back-to-back -back years with artists playing the Space Needle. Just nepotism. <laughs> it's like I might know a guy. Uh. <laughs> All right. On that. Thanks for listening. Thanks.